What wonderful songs. I hope that our mind is already upon our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ this morning. As has been mentioned, this being the fifth Sunday, we are taking our entire assembly to focus upon Jesus, to think about his life, to consider his death upon the cross for each one of us, and to think about him taking up his life once again, and how we can share in all of that that Jesus has done as our forerunner as he has gone before us. Six months ago today, and I doubt very many of you remember this, on Sunday, October the 30th of last year, we, in our fifth Sunday of that particular month, we looked to the cross of Jesus Christ, and we looked to the cross of Christ to learn some lessons for ourselves. And we spent that entire lesson, that entire sermon, thinking about a lesson that we can learn from the cross as to how we can suffer as we looked at our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ hanging there upon the cross and all of the shame and all of the pain that he experienced as he was there in the Garden of Gethsemane, as he was there on Calvary's Hill. And to think about how we have been called as followers of his to suffer like he suffered, to respond to suffering in the same way that he responded Today we want to return to that same cross and we want to look at it perhaps from a little bit different perspective. We want to learn another very important lesson. This time, this morning, we are going to think about the cross and what the cross teaches us about the fact that Christ can change us. And especially as we as people, whether we are followers of Christ or not, as we come to the cross, as we look at the cross and not so much looking at that physical wooden structure there upon Calvary's hill, but as we look at the one who was there for us, the one who was hanging there between heaven and earth. And I want us to think about this important lesson this morning, that Christ can change each one of us. As we do that, I want us to look at several people whom I think Scripture tells us that the cross did change them. That as they looked to the cross of Jesus Christ, that Christ began to melt their hearts, began to change their hearts, began to change their character, began to change their entire life. And I want us to consider those and then to think about ourselves for a little while this morning. And it is my intent that we will be, that I will be up here just for a little while. We'll see how that goes. <laughs> I was so thankful for Brother Philip and his uh, willingness to, uh, about on 24 hours notice last Sunday, to fill in for me when I was sick and not able to be here. And he did such a great job, but I was a little bit jealous because he got everything he wanted to say in 20 minutes. <laughs> and I told Todd as I sent him a, a text on Friday when I was still feeling fine, I said, it's my intention to speak about 15 or 20 minutes because the elders had a presentation to give to the congregation. I don't know how that would have gone, but that was my intent anyway. So it's my intent this morning that this would be uh, rather short, at least shorter than what I'm normal uh, used, used to doing. As we think, first of all, about the cross and it, the lesson we can learn there about Christ changing us, I want us to think about the thief on the cross. If you have your Bible to open there to where it is opened or where it is on the screen, the, the text on the screen in Luke chapter 23, 
Luke chapter 23, let's begin reading at verse 39. Luke 23, beginning at verse 39. Luke says to us there, one of the criminals who were hanged there was hurling abuse at him, saying, are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other answered and rebuking him said, do you not even fear God since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed, so we indeed are suffering justly, for we are receiving what we deserve for our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. And he was saying, Jesus, remember me when you come in your kingdom. And he said to him, truly I say to you, today you shall be with me in paradise. If you turn over to Matthew and Mark's account, which we're not going to take the time this morning to do, but both of those gospel writers state that both of these criminals, both of these robbers, both of these thieves, however you want to describe these two men on either side of Jesus, that they were both casting insults against Jesus. They were both blaspheming Jesus. They were really just joining in with what everybody else there at the foot of the cross was doing. As we read in the gospel accounts, the crowds had gathered there to see what was going on. They were mocking Jesus. They were in insulting Jesus. They were saying, well, you claim to be the Christ, the Son of God. You claim to be the Messiah of God. You claim to be God in the flesh. And so if you really are who you say you are, just take yourself down from the cross. You saved others, but you can't save yourself. However, Luke, in his account that we've just read here, tells us that while hanging on the cross, one of these men, one of these criminals, one of these thieves changed. He realized, as we just read in these words, that he and the other thief, they deserved to be there. They were criminals. They had broken Roman law. And whether these two men realized it or not, they had broken God's law, I'm sure. But he knew that they deserved to die. But he also realized that the man there in the middle on that middle cross, Jesus, he realized that he was not like those two. That here was an innocent man. He did not deserve death. We don't know, of course, anything about the background of this man that is speaking these words about this criminal. We don't know if he really knew Jesus. It could have been that he was in the crowd, some of those multitudes that Jesus traveled around from place to place. Maybe he had heard Jesus speak words of life. Maybe he had seen Jesus perform miracles. Maybe he had not been there on the scene himself, but surely at this particular time, living in this part of the world, he would have at least heard accounts and stories about what Jesus had said, about what Jesus had done. Definitely, as he is hanging here on a cross beside Jesus the Christ, he was able to listen to Jesus as he uttered those seven statements from the cross, as he was interacting with the crowd, as he was responding to all the blasphemies and the insults and the jeers from the crowd and from the religious leaders. He could see with his own eye, he could hear with his own ear, he could observe firsthand how Jesus was reacting and responding to all of this abuse. And based at least upon his statement that is made here in verse 42 of our text, when it said, Luke says that he was saying, Jesus, remember me when you come in your kingdom. This thief at the very least, it seems to me, understood and believed that Jesus was the king. And that he would reign after his death that for Jesus, this was not the end of his life. He must have known something about Christ's teachings. Again, whether he was there in the crowds and listened firsthand to those sermons and those teachings and those conversations or not, I don't know. But he knew enough about the teachings of Jesus Christ that he was teaching about the coming kingdom, 
about his kingdom. Jesus, of course, as is stated to us in the gospel several times, he, he knows us. <laughs> he created us. He knew the thoughts of man. He knew what was inside of mankind. And so Jesus, of course, on this occasion, knew this man better than he knew himself. He knew his heart. He knew that he had the authority to forgive sins here upon earth. And therefore, he assured this man those famous words that Jesus spoke to him in verse 33. Today I say to you that you will be with me in paradise. He said to this man, you will be in paradise with me very, very soon, this very day. We're not told, obviously, a lot about this thief. Again, about his background, about all the changes that he made. His earthly life is not going to end for very much longer after this particular conversation. But I'm saying to you that the cross of Christ, Jesus hanging there on a cross, obviously brought about a change in this man's life. What a change this thief experienced as a result of looking to the cross and seeing Jesus dying there. The second person that we want to look at is one that we have looked at before. I think maybe earlier last year we did a lesson in our fifth Sunday about the centurion. But to look at him again as we stay here in this text in Luke chapter 23 and drop down to verse 47. Luke goes on to say, Now when the centurion saw what had happened, he began praising God, saying, Certainly this man was innocent. Again, like the thief that we just talked about, we really don't know anything about this particular centurion. The Bible doesn't give us that information. We don't know a lot about his background. We do know something, as I think we mentioned in that sermon last year about the centurion here at the cross. We know something from uh, biblical accounts, but also from historical accounts about centurions. We know that generally speaking, they were very good men. They were men of good reputation, good character. They, they were men who you could trust. They were honest men. They were men who understood authority, even as the centurion in Luke chapter 7 that had a, a servant or a slave that was sick. And he knew as he got into that conversation with Jesus and says, I know you have the authority. I, I am under someone in the Roman military, and I have those who are under me. He understood authority very well. Just a very good man, Cornelius and other centurions that are presented to us in the Scripture. Very good men of high character. But based on Luke's account, I think we do know, obviously, that this man, as he's observing all the events of the day, that he comes to the conclusion that Jesus is an innocent man. One of the other uh, gospel writers tells us that he said, surely this man was the son of God. This man was a righteous man. Again, taking some information from Matthew and Mark's accounts, we know that this particular centurion here at the cross, that he observed everything that was going on around him at this particular time. He saw it becoming dark, pitch black dark in the middle of day. He saw or experienced the earthquake. He saw the temple veil being torn in two. He saw the split rocks and the open tombs and the Savior's cry. He heard all of that from the cross. And he saw how Jesus breathed his last as this particular account tells us. And he knew again, as we said from Matthew and Mark's account, he came to the conclusion, not only here is a man who is innocent, here is a man who is righteous, just like the thief came to the conclusion, this man doesn't deserve to be here. But he came to the conclusion that he is the son of God. 
Again, we don't know anything about this man's life before he came to the cross. We don't know anything about his life after he came to the cross. I would like to know, as I'm sure you would, you know, did this particular centurion become a Christian? Did he become a follower of Christ? What did he spend the rest of his time here on earth doing? We don't have that information given to us. But I'm saying to you this morning, at the very least, the cross of Christ and this centurion observing Jesus hanging there upon the cross, it changed him. It changed this man in profound ways. Thirdly, as we think about how the cross can change each of us, I want us to think about uh, two men, I don't know if they were exactly here at the cross or not, but uh, they certainly knew the events of the cross and they were uh, involved after Jesus has died. In John chapter 19, to think about what is said to us in this passage about Joseph and Nicodemus. John chapter 19, and let's begin reading here uh, at verse 38. John 19 and verse 38, John says to us, After these things... Joseph of Arimathea, being a disciple of Jesus, but a secret one for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus, and Pilate granted permission. So he came and took away his body. Nicodemus, who had first come to him by night, also came, bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about a hundred pounds weight. So they took the body of Jesus and bound it in linen wrappings with the spices, as is the burial custom of the Jews." Now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden a new tomb in which no one had yet been laid. Therefore, because of the Jewish day of preparation, since the tomb was nearby, they laid Jesus there. What do we know about these two men? As we have just read here, uh, as it says to us back in verse 38 about Joseph himself, that he was a disciple of Jesus but John makes a comment to us here that he was a secret one for fear of the Jews. I think we could probably safely say the same thing about Nicodemus, right? Uh, we are introduced to Nicodemus in the Gospel of John back in chapter 3. And you might remember the conversation that uh, Jesus and Nicodemus had. He, he being a religious leader, a Pharisee of the Sanhedrin. And Jesus coming to him or he coming to Jesus at night... I think says something about who he was, that he's kind of like Joseph. He is a secret disciple, it seems to me. And Jesus has that great conversation there uh, with him in John 3, the early part of that chapter about being born again and about the new birth process and all that. And Nicodemus, of course, is thinking on a physical level and Jesus is trying to get him to think on a spiritual level. I don't know all the conversations maybe that Jesus and Nicodemus had in the intervening time between John 3 and what we're reading here in John chapter 19. But I think it's safe to say again, here are, the, here are two men who are believers in, in Jesus as the Christ. They are followers of his, but they're doing that secretly. They fear retaliation because of the positions that they were in. They fear retaliation from their fellow Jews if they just openly express their faith in him. But now here is Joseph and Nicodemus is joining him, Luke tells us. They have come to Pilate, Joseph at least has, asked for the body of Jesus. Here are these two men, these two disciples of Christ, burying the body of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. I would suggest to you that that, that took a lot of courage. If you go to Mark's account for just a moment in Mark chapter 15, I don't have this passage on the screen. But Mark chapter 15 at verse 43, 
Uh, Mark says to us there that Joseph of Arimathea came, a prominent member member of the council, who himself was waiting for the kingdom of God, and he gathered up courage, Mark says, and went in before Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. We might think, well, that's not really a courageous act. That doesn't take a lot of courage. That doesn't take a lot of boldness to go and ask for a dead man's body. (laughs) But here he was going before Pilate the Roman governor of this province. And he was putting his reputation, I think, on the line and saying that I care about this man who claimed to be the Messiah. I want his body so that I can bury it. Again, maybe we don't know a whole lot about Joseph and Nicodemus, but I'm suggesting to you this morning that the cross of Christ changed them. Now longer, no, no longer were they just content to be secret disciples. It seems to me no longer did they really care whether their fellow Jewish leaders found out about the fact that they had made a commitment to follow Jesus Christ to be a disciple of his or not. They were willing for that news to be out in the open because they are coming and burying the body of their master teacher, Jesus the Christ. And then one final person to think about is that of the Apostle Peter. I know that those of you who are in Craig's uh, Sunday morning class are studying uh, about his life this particular quarter. I want to think about something that is said after the fact that Jesus has gone to the cross and he's even been raised from the dead and he has ascended back to his father. But we find Peter and John, two apostles, preaching and healing a man in the temple Uh, And the religious leaders get word of that. And so they put them in prison and they bring them before themselves on trial. And as that conversation, that trial is going on here before the Jewish council. And let's pick up the reading there at verse 13 of Acts chapter 4. Luke says to us, now as they, as the religious leaders, the Sanhedrin, observed the confidence of Peter and John and understood that they were uneducated and untrained men, they were amazed and began to recognize them as having been with Jesus. And seeing the men, the man who had been healed standing with them, they had nothing to say in reply. But when they had ordered them to leave the council, they began to confer with one another, saying, What shall we do with these men? For the fact that a noteworthy miracle has taken place through them is apparent to all who live in Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But so that it will not spread any further among the people, let us warn them to speak no longer to any man in this name. And when they had summoned them, they commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered and said to them, whether it is right in the sight of God to give heed to you rather than to God, you be the judge, for we cannot stop speaking about what we have seen and heard. Who was Peter before Jesus went to the cross? Maybe a lot of different words you can think of in your mind to describe him. What I'm thinking about, though, is is that scene there in the gospel accounts when Jesus is standing before the Sanhedrin himself. And Peter is out there in the courtyard. We all remember that, right? And, you know, Peter had just um, vehemently said to Jesus earlier on, not, not many hours before that, you know, if everybody denies you, I will never deny you. I will be there with you through thick and thin. Even if I have to die with you, that's what I'm committed to do. And then he, as the gospel writer tell us, like all the other disciples, he left Jesus, he fled when it got right down to it. When he saw that using his sword was not going to accomplish Jesus's mission, 
Seems to me like he kind of gave up at that particular point. But he's there in the courtyard, and you remember the servant girl questioning him and people saying, well, that kind of looks like I remember seeing him on the trail. <laughs> I, I remember when Jesus, you know, fed the 5,000 or, or Jesus spoke that great sermon on the mount. I remember that he was there in the crowd. He is one of his disciples, and Peter just denied, blank, blank, uh, blankly just denied three times, I don't even know this man that you're talking about. I have no association with Jesus whatsoever. That was before Jesus went to the cross. But after Jesus went to the cross, and of course he was raised from the dead, here is Peter along with John saying here that we cannot. I I don't care to the religious leaders saying, I don't care what you do to us. I don't care what orders you give to us. We cannot stop speaking what we have seen and heard, which obviously would have included the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. If you go back here earlier in this chapter in verse 10, here is Peter standing before the council and giving his defense about what has happened. He said, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by this name, this man stands here before you in good health. He was not shying away from his association, his fellowship with Jesus at all. He is very much saying, I am a believer. I am a follower of Jesus Christ. Even as we read here in verse 13, the the Jewish council can see, hey, these, these men didn't go to our rabbinical schools. And yet they have been with Jesus. There is a confidence. There is a courage that these men have because they have walked with Jesus for so long. Yes, Peter and John had seen the resurrected Christ But I would suggest to you that his resurrected body contained evidence from the cross, his nail-scarred hands and feet, his spear-pierced side. For reference, you can look at Luke 23, verses 39 and 40, and John chapter 20 and verse 27. The point I want us to think about here this morning is, how did Peter make such a drastic change in his life? Certainly it was the resurrection of Christ. Certainly it was the ascension of Christ. But before those things, it was the cross of Christ. It was the cross of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ that caused Peter to go from one who seemed to be scared that anyone would find out that he even knew Jesus, much less had committed to following Jesus, to one who would just boldly shout him from the the rooftops, we cannot stop speaking about what we have seen and heard. So what does that have to do with you and me? As we've already talked about this morning, the cross can change me. It can change you. The cross of Christ has radically changed the lives of untold millions of people. People who once were thieves, like those two robbers on either side of Jesus. People who once were murderers, like the Apostle Paul. People who were drunks and homosexuals and adulterers and atheists. It is the cross of Christ that has changed untold millions of people. People maybe that, as we've been talking recently about sharing the gospel with those around us and people that we come in contact with every day, it's people maybe that we have written off of our prospect list. People that we think wouldn't care one thing in the world about hearing about the cross of Christ and how Jesus Christ can change them. Those are the very people that oftentimes have been changed. And so it doesn't matter who we were. 
It doesn't matter what our former lifestyle was like. It doesn't matter what sins we have committed in the past. When we come to the cross, here is the truth of the cross of Christ, that Christ will change us. It's not a matter of maybe that's going to happen for me or thinking about, well, I'm, I'm glad that your life has changed. I'm glad that you've made a drastic change in your life. But that, that's just not possible for me because you don't know my story. But Jesus knows the story of every one of us in here. And he knows, God knows that the cross has the power to change each one of us. As we read about observing, eating of the Lord's Supper, in places like 1 Corinthians chapter 11, as Paul is giving some instructions to the church there in Corinth and to us, and Paul mentions in that great text that we are to remember the Lord's death until He comes. We are to proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. And so in this supper that we are about to eat together, we certainly ought to be thinking about Jesus Christ. And we ought to be reflecting upon His life and upon His death and upon His love for each one of us. But a part of that in that passage in 1 Corinthians 11 in so doing this, we are to each one examine ourselves as we are eating the supper together. And so I want to encourage all of us who are followers of Jesus Christ this morning, as we are about to do this, I want to challenge all of us to think about one specific way in our life, in your life and in my life. Think about one specific way that Christ and His cross has changed me. We, we need to take the Lord's Supper personally every Sunday. It needs to be a personal thing. Yes, we're doing this together collectively. You don't have to tell anybody about this, but just between you and God to think about one way in which Christ and His cross has changed you. Now we'll call our brothers up to help us observe the Supper song of invitation and encouragement, uh, a song of reflection upon where we stand with God and His Son, Jesus Christ. To think about the uh, encouragement and challenge that I issue to all of us as we were eating the supper together to reflect on, to even pray about one way in which Christ and His cross has changed us. How did you do with that? Did that process humble you? Was it somewhat of a uh, frightening process? As you reflected on that and even talked to God about that particular way in which Christ and His cross has, has changed you, did it fill you with gratitude? Are you so thankful that you're not the person that you once were, that you are not under the slavery of sin that you once were? Did it cause you maybe to see ways and other ways in which he has changed you? Or did it challenge you and motivate you to make new changes that you know you need to make? And you can't do that with your own power, but you can certainly do that with the power of the cross of Christ. Did it give you strength to carry on for the rest of today and for the rest of this week? I think that's one thing, I know that's one thing that remembering Christ's death each week ought to do for us. And related to our theme for this year, did it motivate you to become more like him?
As Brother Tim was making his comments about our contribution, I, in, in relation to our lesson this morning, thinking about a quote, and I don't know that this, these are the exact words, but it has been said that I'm not the man I need to be, and I'm not the man that I want to be, but thank God I'm not the man that I used to be. And it's only the power of the cross of Christ that can make that statement true. What about you this morning? Do you need to come to the cross of Christ? Do you need to experience the change that only he can give? There there is something powerful. There is something transformational about what Jesus did for each one of us, for you and me, at the cross of Christ. If you're not a Christian, here is an opportunity for you to be changed by Jesus the Christ as we're about to sing this invitation song together. If you know that you need to respond to the gracious invitation of our Lord and Savior, won't you do that now as we stand and as we sing?